0: And you're listening to the first season of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast.
1: We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Full disclosure, we're Southern. You may hear a y'all it happens. Mm-hmm. This season is brought to you by our generous sponsor Grant Writing USA. Grant writing USA delivers training programs across America that dramatically enhance performances in the areas of grant writing, grants management and grant maker research. They have coached, trained and consulted for nearly 15,000 top-ranked organizations and more than 25,000 individual achievers from every imaginable domain. Leaders of government, philanthropists, academics, outstanding nonprofit managers, top performing staffers, even everyday heroes. Now, full disclosure, Mm -hmm. when we're not entertaining you, (laughs) we hope, yes, with our podcasting adventures, Kimberly and I are both trainers for Grant Writing USA. At the end of this episode and throughout season one, we will be sure to let you know about upcoming offers at Grant Writing USA
0: just for our listeners of Fundraising Heyday. So today, happy listeners, this episode is all about DAF. OMG. WTF. <laughs> now before we tackle that alphabet soup, let me point out that this
1: is one of those episodes where I am so glad that Kimberly Hayes' named Mooga is my partner in crime. <laughs> My background in grants is in local government, a place where fundraising really doesn't take place. I mean, that's what taxes are for. Technically. But Kimberly knows more than a thing or two about development offices, fundraising, and donors, so she's here today sharing her brilliance with all of us. I'll probably even have a question or two because this is going to be a learning experience for me. And I'm just going to go ahead and guess before you start doling out what spells what. That WTF, that Mm -hmm. stands for, well, that's fantastic. Am I right? Absolutely, because this is a family (laughs) podcast. (laughs) So take it away, Kimberly.
0: What the heck is DAF? DAF, Donor Advised Funds. And we just wanted to share a little bit about this with you because it's something that if you're not dealing with right now, it could be something that you might deal with in the future or maybe someone you work with is dealing with. Donor advised funds are really the fastest growing type of philanthropy. And again, when I talk about philanthropy and when we talk about fundraising in this broadcast, it's grants, we've spent a lot of time talking about grants. It can be individuals. It could be major donors. You can get uh, gifts, philanthropic gifts from trusts or from bequests or from someone's estate or many other options. But this is one vehicle of giving that's growing a lot. Uh, It's just about doubled maybe according to Fidelity uh, Charitable Group, which is the arm of Fidelity that hosts donor advised funds. I just wanted to take the first part of the, let's see, D-A-F, the O-M-G part. <laughs> is. A, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, what is that? And so <laughs> we're just going to roll through that and Amanda will jump in with questions or comments or just general questions goodness shenanigans you never can't tell so as i said donor advised funds fastest growing form of philanthropy what is it you may be asking yourselves and i'm here to just give you a quick thumbnail A donor-advised fund is kind of a stepping stone, a middle ground, the middle child. It's kind of the Jan Brady uh, (laughs) of— Marsha, 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 (laughs) between individual donations, you know, you write a check, you go online and make a gift, you text something to the Red Cross, an individual donation— And a grant from a foundation. With all the rules and regs and what you can and can't do. So much stricter. We're in this middle ground. A reason that donor advised funds, I believe, have grown so much is because they're attractive to people with the means to start them. If you are making a good living and want to give back and want to set up a tradition of philanthropy in your family, and you want to tax break. This is one way to do it. It takes a lot less money to start a donor-advised fund and requires a lot less reporting and admin and overhead and staff than a traditional foundation. It could take millions of dollars to start a foundation and then there are specific tax reporting documents and governing structures and all these things that need to be in place for good reason.
1: And all that costs money to do as well. Costs money and
0: time. Donor-advised fund is really a, a very streamlined version of that. When you start a donor advised fund, Amanda could take a million dollars today and set up a donor advised fund and have it ready to go in just a few weeks to be able to give donations and send it out. So um, she's—I I can see her now. She's getting—like she's I'm, get like her I'm playing the out, Georgia Lottery tonight. Getting a lottery ticket. And I know what I'm doing. Making it happen. <laughs> so if Amanda did do that. And she created the Amanda Day Donor Advised Fund, she would get an immediate tax write off for that donation. But it's kind of also functioning like a savings account for donations because it sits there until you are ready to advise the institution or the found the community foundation or whatever entity is holding that fund until you're ready to advise them to distribute. And that's another thing that that sets it apart from a foundation. Foundations like everything from a small family foundation set up in a um, a little town to benefit the local hospital or school or what have you to the Coca-Cola Foundation or the Bill of Melinda Gates Foundations. They all have the same federal requirement, and that's to distribute 5% of their, it's called the payout rule. So it's 5% of the value of their net investment assets annually in the gotcha. form of grants so if their
1: assets last year were five million dollars, this year they're going to distribute five percent of that through grant programming. They can, and yes. they're,
0: they're supposed to in the form of either of grants or eligible administrative expenses. I'm sure there are ways through and around and under that in any and any other it preposition. Gets complicated. And I am not uh, a lawyer. And I am not someone who an has, accountant I'm not an accountant, shockingly, and I'm also not someone who has her own private foundation. But certainly I've dealt with a lot of private foundations. Yes, have. We've sort of talked a little bit about what it isn't and how much easier it is to set up and how much it's growing because of that, because it's an easier way to give and create a tradition of philanthropy, take an instant tax write-off, and Put that money in a place where it's safe and where it can then be distributed at your leisure, and that's what sets it apart from a foundation where there are rules of governance, rules of reporting, and rules of distribution that are annual and fixed and sort of set in stone as much as as a federal policy can be set in stone
1: and if i'm getting a a better handle on this so let's let's say i do i play the georgia lottery i I win a million dollars and i decide i'm gonna be kind and giving of all of my money because that's how i roll right that's how she rolls well i may buy a boat first for my husband he'd probably appreciate that but anyway so i set up this donor advised funds now by doing that i'm not having to give all my money to one charity right i can dole it out however i see fit because it's my money Kind of, sort of, yes, no.
0: Kind of, sort of, yes. It when you set up the fund, let's say, since we're here in Atlanta, we'll say, let's say you set up that fund with the Community Foundation of Greater Atlanta or the Community Foundation of North Georgia or the Community Foundation of Northeast Georgia, or the Community <laughs> Foundation of Savannah. You're getting the point yes, here. Yes, there's lots of there's, them. There's some foundations every around. every If you set it up either, or with Fidelity, or Vanguard, or, or, or whoever, whoever you're going with for this, the money becomes, it's not yours. I mean, you take the immediate tax write-off when you set up that fund. And so you are advising on how the money is distributed. But because you take that immediate tax write-off, it is my understanding, and, you know, at me, folks, tax accountants out there if I get this <laughs> wrong but it, it's you you've made that gift the gift is out you take the immediate tax write-off and then you advise the financial institution or found or community foundation on how to distribute. Does gotcha. that make sense. So, Absolutely. So, so you're you're more you're in an advisor role because you've already taken that money and and given it away. Again, as I said, financial institutions or community or other foundations can get all this started. And that's just a brief overview of what it is. Okay. So you might be wondering, well, that's great. Who cares? Or WTF? And what does that mean again? Well, that's fantastic. Well, that's fantastic, Kimberly. But. You know what hold does that have over us, and why should we be concerned if it's a slice of a fundraising pie because Amanda makes good pies and i enjoy yes. I enjoy eating pie chips, guacamole, and many other things but for <laughs> let me get back to the the subject at hand what's in it for you as a fundraising professional, as a grant writer as a as a someone uh, trying to raise money for a nonprofit and just trying to make a difference in the world is. This is, again, a vehicle that has, for giving that's doubled in the past six to 10 years. So it's just something worthy to take notice of. And it's also a little different from more traditional ways of giving. And this can give you more ideas about how to fit this into your fundraising pie so that that slice of pie gets bigger. Yes. So in other words, we're not just telling you
1: why... People are donating to DAFs, but trying to explain as a fundraiser how you can access those funds. Is that where we're heading That's where we're heading. That's where we're
0: heading with this. Okay,
1: I'm learning stuff already. I like it.
0: So the What's In It For You, or the WTF portion of our uh, podcast today, brought to you by Donor Advised Funds. There's more potential for repeat gifts, right? Because they don't have to distribute it all in one lump sum. I've seen this before at the food bank and at other places where they might start out giving you a gift from the, their donor-advised fund that then turns into a bigger gift next year or a connection to another way of giving in the years to come. As fundraisers, we like that. Repeat gifts. Repeat gifts. That's a beautiful awesome. thing. You know, because it's like when you were in... Uh, this is the part where I'm... I'm just going to tell the story anyway. It's like when you're in school or when I was in school. In another century, in another time, in a galaxy far, far away, (laughs) and you pass notes, you know, do you like me? I did
1: those too, check yes or no. Check yes or no.
0: Well, the reason why this is so important to think about repeat gifts and, and, and cultivating them is that those folks have already checked the yes I like you box. So you don't have to make that little note again and write it and put little hearts on it and fold it up and be all nervous because they've already checked yes. And so as a fundraiser, I'm always going to want to make sure the people who have already checked yes, I like you are the people that I'm going to go back again. Well, so you like me, here's another opportunity to show your love for this community we're serving. And continue doing great things together. So that's one good reason to make sure you're you're in the know a little bit more about donor advised funds. Also, in a shocking, shocking development, there are donors who talk to each other because sometimes people talk to each other about things they've done, right? Yeah, are you, yeah. Uh, It's true. E- even I hope donors. I hope you're sitting down for this because yes. I know it's shocking. <laughs> um, so it's giving the, you the opportunity or the donor who has the opportunity of making that connection to share with other donors who may have donor-advised funds. This could also happen within the context of where the funds are housed, if they're at a, again, a community foundation. Well, the officers and directors and staff of that community foundation are in a great position to help people who have started donor-advised funds figure out what to do with their money. So if a donor is really satisfied and is advised or if the foundation or institution housing that fund knows about you and the good work you do that's just more synergy and that can create more gifts for you and it's possible that donor advised funds could lead to grant opportunities again but people how does know that people work? well people know people people sit on boards people are trustees of foundations and people talk because that's what we do and And when there are good experiences and worthy nonprofits and great missions out there that individual donors are giving to, if they're in a position to start a sizable donor-advised fund, they're probably in a position to know other people with similar means or know other people in the foundation world and sort of make those connections and make that happen. Interestingly enough, as I understand with, with my involvement as a grant seeker, with the Community Foundation of Greater Atlanta, and it's actually not just me, but I'm just saying it because I'm me. You can look <laughs> up, if you look up their assets, they mm-hmm. are also required to file sort of a version, a nonprofit version of a tax return called a 990. And you can see, and also they talk about this on their annual report, they have grant cycles yes. that you you know, you know write a grant, you're in this competition for this pool of money, and many different areas. But the most money they give away, millions and millions more in assets, is they're, they're actually held in donor-advised funds. So another way to look at this is if you – it's not that I want to say this delicately, but it's like, hey, maybe there's a foundation – and I'm not talking now, I am not talking about the community foundation. I'm using just a hypothetical example. There's a foundation that has two grant cycles a year. And in each grant cycle, they give out a million dollars. Sounds good. Yeah. Want to get in there? Want to see what that's about? I have an application. I have some stuff that you might want to see about what we're doing. But what if they give out $5 million a year through donor advised funds, which have no grant cycles. There's actually right now, as I understand it, not even a law saying you must distribute everything in this donor advised fund within a year or five years or 10 years right now. And that may change. Right now, there's no hard and fast rule about that. Wouldn't you like to know that there is this bigger pot of money um, from people who want to do good, who want to connect? Wouldn't you want to know about that and how to access it? That being said, what makes donor advised funds super convenient and desirable for a donor? is not always super desirable and easy, convenient for a person who's trying to find out about the fund, right? Because yes. you can set up this fund. Amanda has won the lottery. I hope it was more than a million dollars. That sounds it. really bad, but I'd take know, a
1: million though. I you know I
0: would. I'd take half a million. I really would. <laughs> I really just just send your checks to, to fundraising heyday and, and we, we will make good we on it. will be the best rich people in the world. Absolutely. Because we will know how to give and know how to connect. And we also know how to have fun. Well,
1: there's, that's important. Too. And,
0: and Amanda will bake a pie and I'll <laughs> appreciate it. Um, so as uh, a grants professional or as a fundraiser or as the, an executive director of a small nonprofit who heads, board meetings, and then also sweeps up at night. I mean, whatever role it is that you're playing, if you are getting donor advised funds, gifts through donor advised funds, it's not as transparent and as easy to find out about the donor because remember... They're not bound by those same rules that foundations are bound by. That being said, sometimes it's hard to find out information about foundations, too. Just real world yes, here. absolutely. Not every foundation is um, like the Home Depot Foundation that has a staff and a website. In fact, most, right, Amanda, most yes. foundations don't mm-hmm. have websites or staff people. They or might, phone numbers. Or, uh, it's, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very hard to, they're out there, but it's hard to find.
0: So... In future episodes or through um, classes through Grant Writing USA, you can find out different ways to research these kinds of foundations. But donor advised funds, because of the way they're set up, you will just have to get a little forensic on it. You know, CSI DAF. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm on the acronyms today. I'm feeling it. I'm living it. I'm loving it. So one way you might know if you get a donor advised fund is you would get a check or a fund transfer, depending on the sophistication of your ability to receive gifts. And it would be from Fidelity or... Vanguard and it would say the Amanda Day fund. And if it's an actual physical check, there might be a little explanation about this is a donor advised fund and don't send a thank you letter to us because we're a big old foundation or big old financial institution and we don't need your thank you for being a big old financial institution letters. But I digress. So that's one way to know is that they'll tell you this is a donor advised fund. Donors may choose to reveal their contact information, which is fantastic, and will allow you to, even if it's a, a snail mail address, will allow you to reach out to them, to invite them for a site visit, to send them a thank you note. I'm saying you'd recommend doing those things if you actually got contact information. Um, hello, yes, okay. yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for... Stupid questions not, for 100 no, not a No, not a stupid question at all. Just I'm, I'm embarrassed that I didn't say it first. That's all. Yes. If you can find that information, sure, you want to reach out because they're kind of checking the yes, I like you. That's a good way to reach out. Now, if you can't get that information, you just can't get it. If you get the name of the fund and you're able to, through different research, Google... Google it, find out a little bit more about them, or if they're past donors who have moved to a donor advice fund, that should be in your records and you can find that. Then that's at least a starting point to to try and make a connection. Right now, I know that Bank of America and Fidelity have um, sort of online information about their funds and different kinds of ways to approach or to not approach. Um, So they actually have that information online. Um, And community foundations and faith-based foundations increasingly are getting in more and more into um, donor-advised funds and creating philanthropic communities. And depending on the size of those different kinds of foundations, they would have more information. So we've talked about, you know, what it is, how to find out more, and really sharing is caring, y'all. <laughs> just just get out your Care Bears, get out your whatever it is. I'm that giving
1: you... Kimberly the Care Bear stare right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it because sharing is caring. And the more you know, if you are a grant writer and you are able to use your research skills to help identify this mysterious new donor who's sending a donor advice fund, and then it turns into a discussion. If you have a work in a bigger shop that you have with your major gift officer or the, with the executive director on, hey, here's this information. You know, they actually know this other person who sits on the board of this family foundation. We'd like to go to. That's a sharing is caring moment, Absolutely. and ultimately that can just help bring more connections. And more financial support, more volunteer support, more board support, whatever it is, into your organization. So if you might be saying to yourself, well, I am just a grant writer. That does not apply to me. I'm going to respectfully say, "Mm, you know what? It could. It could apply to you. But more importantly, it could apply to your organization. Well, it's Uh, just
1: with anything, the more skills you know, the more knowledge and information you're bringing to your team, the more valuable you are at that organization, and the more valuable you're going to be for the next organization you want to go to. So why would you not want to learn something new?
0: I just, I'm feeling that meme, the more you know. Da, da, da. Yeah. A small
1: star coming across. We the spare screen. no
0: expense in our expensive sound effects. We, and I know you appreciate them, <laughs> listeners out there. Another sharing is caring way you can use this if you are a grant professional or development professional and you're writing. Uh, grants, because that's what you do. You can take those same skills and help write case statements and profiles and things that these foundations or financial institutions may be interested in as a way for them to connect with you, with you, with their donors and their donor-advised fund holders with different ways to make the community a better place. Again, not picking on the Community Foundation of Greater Atlanta, but I did have the experience where they asked me to on behalf of the organization where I was working to fill out this form which looks suspiciously like a grant proposal, mm-hmm. but yet it was not a grant proposal. And I did it because sure. Oh. And it ended up being of course a, a a way for them to share the information about this foundation with donor advised funds. And lo and behold, you know, a little while later we did get a nice donation that came through a donor advised fund. So there's a kind of a synchronicity donor advised funds. And in, in this case can kind of be the kissing cousins of proposals <laughs> can kind of be, well, it's Georgia, you yeah. know, we yep. don't, you know, we're just going to talk about that. Not as much as I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about other States. I'm okay. not going to go there. Alabama. Alabama.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Who else do we pick on here in Georgia? Oh, we love our
0: Alabama peeps. It's just the way we, role yes but anyway i I hope that that was a helpful overview of donor advised funds so daf i hope we answered the daf we answered the omg and we answered the wtf absolutely so great information thanks
1: kimberly i learned something new so i appreciate that um one more time we'd like to thank our sponsor, Grant Writing USA. If you are interested in learning more about the grant writing and grant management classes that they offer in all 50 states, please visit their website at grantwritingusa.com. You can check out their 2-day courses. Stay tuned for special offers from Grant Writing USA for our listeners. You got it. Our next episode is the one covering internal controls and how to prevent grant fraud. Dun, dun, dun. I know it's not an exciting thing to talk about, but such an imperative thing so to our listeners please remember that there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising but there are a lot of good people with experience to share training programs you can take and other ways to learn Kimberly and I sincerely hope this podcast will be one of your favorite ways to learn going forward see y'all next time